Lord, we are so thankful. Thankful for the many blessings that we see in this world. Lord, sometimes we think about and we see the things that aren't right with our world. But I just ask and pray that uh, as we go forward, we look at all the blessings that we have every day. The blessings that we have in our communities, in our country. The blessings that we have with the people around us. Those that love us, those that don't. Lord, we're just so thankful for all you do in our lives. We're thankful for the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's amazing to know that someone could die for our sins so that we could live. We're thankful for that. Lord, we're coming into this season of Thanksgiving, and we'll be seeing a lot of friends and family. Lord, we pray as they come and visit and we go and visit uh, that everyone will be safe and that uh, you'll be bringing people back next Sunday. Lord, I pray today that the meditations in my heart and the words in my mouth are acceptable to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So, uh, what am I going to talk about today? Um, I'd like to talk about Esther. And why do I want to talk about Esther? So Esther is the 17th book in the Old Testament. Um, I think Esther, uh, the title, obviously, God's Saving Grace for, such a for a Time Such as This. But the reason I want to talk about Esther is I've been studying it. And it's interesting for me, I'm, I'll just start out this way. I'm not really good at interpreting the written word. So sometimes I have a hard time figuring out which book of the Bible I should read, or as I start to read the Bible, how am I to interpret it and where am I to go? And so in my faith journey, I've learned some tools that I like to use. And one of those is a little thing from Moody. I get it, it's today in the Word. This is my one month's worth of devotionals. And so what happened to me is in September, I was reading this and I saw Esther and I was reading about the story of Esther, and I said, wow, that's really cool. I'd like to know more about it. And so I started reading uh, Esther and studying it. Um, and I think God put it on my heart that I'd like to share what I learned uh, with that story. And in the story of Esther, there's great examples of God's providence, his supreme ability to care for his people. And I think there's some great examples of that. In Esther, there's also... I think, a lot of hope and encouragement that we can get. Uh, in that time, the, the Jewish folks had kind of fallen away from God. But you'll see in the story that God hadn't forgotten about his people. And so I want to talk about that. And then hopefully uh, there will be some application for each of us uh, as we go forward. So I said I'm not very good at uh, interpreting the written word. Um, and that's true. And um, the study of the word, though, helps us to become strong and strong in our faith. And why is that important? It's important because God asks us to be disciples and to make disciples of others. And that's part of what Meadowland's all about, is for us to enrich our knowledge and to be able to be salt and light for the communities that we live in. This is a place where lives are to be changed by Jesus. And one of the ways we can do that is to, to learn and grow in the Word. Um, I said I'm not that good at it, and um, I go back in high school, and I think about English class, literature, and I think about we'd, read, we'd all read the same book. And I could read the book, and I could tell you exactly what happened in the book. I was pretty good from a memory standpoint. But the other people were really good at figuring out what the author was trying to say and what was the meaning behind it and the themes. I just never had that gift. And, and to be honest with you, I still don't have that gift. And so one of the things I want to do today as I tell you about my study of Esther is tell you a little bit about uh, some of the tools I used and uh, how it helped me uh, to learn. Um, I'm a scientist. I love things that I can test and touch and feel. English, literature, history, not so much. In English, literature, and history, 
are important things to help you understand the context of the stories that you read in the Bible. Um, a lot of times I would read the Bible and I'd set some goals for myself. I'd say, I want to read the whole Bible in a year. And I'd start out and I'd be doing all right for a little while. And then I'd get off track and then I'd feel uh, disappointed in myself and in, the, in my study. And what I figured out recently, and one of the main things I learned about Esther is, it's only seven pages. It's only ten chapters. Yet there is so much in it when you can peel it back and, and understand it. And so that's some of the things I want to go through uh, with you today. So, um, a little bit about the story of Esther. Uh, in Esther, uh, it's about uh, 50 years after Daniel. We've been doing the Daniel study recently. And um, so the, the Jewish folks are still in exile. There's a King Xerxes. I'm not sure if I said his name right, so if I mispronounced it, I apologize for that. But he had an empire, 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. Huge, huge kingdom. And the king uh, had this big party going on. When they had a party back then, it was a 180-day party. So it was a pretty big celebration. At the end of that, the last seven days, the royal wine was flowing, the king was merry. And for those of you who don't know, in the, in the time of the Persians and that, it was normal for the men and the women to be separate. And so... Uh, the women were having their celebration. The men were having their celebration. And the queen at the time, Vashti, Vashti was summoned by the king to come and display her beauty in front of the king's men. And she refused. And because of that, the king met with his wise uh, counselors and they said, hey, what are we going to do about this Vashti? And she was dethroned. And we don't hear much more about Vashti, right? So she stood up for what was right. I'm not going to demean myself in front of you, partly because of the custom of the separation of the sexes. But maybe there was more to the story. We don't know. But anyway, she stood up and she did what was right. And the interesting thing is, that was important from God's perspective because God needed Esther in place. And Esther was replaced, if you think about how this happened, after Queen Vashti uh, was dethroned, the king was sad. And he wanted to, uh, his people wanted him to be happy. So what did they do? They had a contest among um, all the young virgin women. And they brought them all in, um, and they selected a few. We don't know if they were selected and they chose to do it, or they were chosen to do it. We're not really sure in the story. But uh, anyway, those women uh, were brought in and uh, prepared uh, to be with the king. And Esther uh, was a Jewish woman, and she was uh, the niece of Mordecai. Um, and there'll be more in the story here about Mordecai. But um, Esther immediately found favor with the eunuchs that were in charge of these women uh, and others. And ultimately, she found favor with the king. And she became the queen. Very important for Esther to be in a position of power. And we'll see more about that later. Um, her uncle Mordecai... I'm, 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 I just got to stop for a second. I am amazed. Just looking at the attentiveness and, and everybody out there, I thank you. Like this is awesome. So anyway, um, I, go, I don't know what I was expecting, but let me, let me go back to communication cards for a minute. Pull, pull out your communication card, and if you've already got your grocery list or your to-do on there, scratch that off, because I am interested in getting uh, feedback from today. So uh, please do that. We do want to honor Steve occasionally and have elders come up and speak uh, from time to time. So definitely interested. All right, so Esther was, uh, was chosen. Uh, Esther was an orphan raised by her uncle. Uh, 
Mordecai. Mordecai was a descendant of Saul. Okay, you know, I, I read through this stuff and I didn't know anything more about that. And, but more will come later. We'll talk about that. Um, and he was very godly. And uh, he discovered a plot by two of the king's eunuchs. And the, those eunuchs were going to try to overthrow and kill the king. So he told Esther. Esther told the king. And the king was saved. The eunuchs were killed. And Mordecai uh, was exalted because of this uh, within the king. So the next person, Haman. Haman, you know, if you think about the story, there's heroes and there's villains. And when you really step back from the whole story, they're all doing their thing. But it's God that's orchestrating all of this. It's, it's, I don't know why, it's just amazing to me when I, when I dug into this and got there. But, so anyway, Haman was an Agagite. He was a rising star with the king, second most powerful person um, he had had a long-standing grudge against Mordecai. And Mordecai, being a descendant of Saul, and Samuel, also a descendant there, had killed the ancestors of Haman. So Haman had this thing against Mordecai. Now, do people carry a grudge for a long time? Apparently, it was about 550 years between when that uh, had happened and, and this time. So... Um, when Haman got exalted, right, and he was second in command, everybody was expected to bow. Geez, that sounds familiar from the Danon one, or the Danon, the Daniel story, right? So everybody's expected to bow. And Mordecai didn't. And people realized that Mordecai didn't. Um, and Mordecai didn't because of the history between him and Haman but also because of uh, his belief in God and that he's not going to bow down to somebody other than God. So when Haman saw this, it, it actually made him hate Mordecai more, and not just Mordecai, uh, but the entire Jewish people. So they went through this thing and they called it uh, where they're casting lots, and they called it poor, P-U-R. Um, and they were trying to decide what to do, and they decided to avenge Mordecai, but also to kill all of the Jewish people within the king's reign. And he convinced the king to do that. He said, king, there's people out in your kingdom that don't think the way you do. They don't act the way you do, and there could be harm to you. And king, if it pleases you, I will give you 10,000 talents of silver if you allow me to eradicate this blemish from our kingdom. So I was curious about that. How much is 10,000 talents of silver? So I looked at it. So 10,000 talents, 375 tons of silver. He was going to give the king. That's a lot of silver, right? If I look at today's prices, it's about $205 million in silver. So you think about, well, wait a minute. Where's Haman going to get that $205 million? Well, it was part of his plan, right? The Jewish people had become stronger and more wealthy. And so as he went through and was killing, going to kill all of the Jewish folks, um, he was going to plunder their goods, and bring those into the royal coffers. So obviously this was terrible news for the Jewish community. And it wasn't a rumor, right? They, the king had it, they signed it, they sent it out to all the provinces and they posted it. And there was a date certain. On this date, all the Jewish people are going to be killed. So if you were person of Jewish faith, how would you feel at that time? It's unbelievable to me that uh, something like that could happen. Well, thankfully, that's not the end of the story, just like Good Friday is not the end of the story uh, with Jesus. So one night, the king, King Xerxes, he couldn't sleep. So he said, hey, bring me the book of records. And so they bring it to him. He reads through and he says, hey, you know what? This Mordecai guy, 
He saved my life. Did we ever do anything for him? No, no, I guess, no, we didn't do anything, no. All right, well, we need to exalt him. It's okay, fine. Um, so the king wanted to uh, honor him. And um, the king talked to Haman and said, Haman, who is Mordecai's enemy, right? So Haman, uh, I want to throw a celebration and I want to honor somebody like I've never honored anybody before. What do you think we would do? So you think about that and you think about the pride that was in Haman, about how he loved to tell people about how strong and big and um, important he'd become. He thought for sure this celebration was for him. So he made this grandiose plan to have a, uh, a big celebration, to wear the royal robes, to be on a crown, to t- ride the king's horse through town, and people saying, ooh, this is the, uh, the person that the king is most proud. Imagine his anger when he found out that it was Mordecai that he was going to have to lead around that town and show um, what the king does with people that he uh, really appreciates. So he, prior to this, because he wanted to eliminate Mordecai, he had made plans to have Mordecai hanged. Well, uh, that wasn't going to happen now that the king had just, uh, sorry, I'm getting uh, mixed up a little bit here. All right, so uh, Haman had this plan to kill all the Jews and Mordecai. Esther heard about it, uh, and Mordecai, Uh, asked her to plead with the king to stop this annihilation of the Jewish people. And um, Esther wasn't sure what to do because, again, in that community, in that time, men and women were separate. And the king was even more separate. So if you approached the king without being asked, it was a death sentence. So Esther had this dilemma she and all her people that were Jewish would become annihilated. But if she went to the king without being asked, she would perish. Just trying to think about what to do. And, you know, one of the reasons I like this story about Esther is just the strength of this lady, you know. Um, her ability to see the need and to do something about it. She could do nothing and hope that God would intervene. In fact, Mordecai told her, he said, look, you can do nothing and God will take care of our people some other way. So she could have just said, yeah, let's let that happen. But she chose not to. So it struck me in that time that we have that same life-saving potential. We know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We know that without Jesus, we will perish. We know that with Jesus, we'll spend an eternity with him. So if you think about the people that you know and love, the people that you work with, you think about, we have the opportunity that Esther had. Esther had the opportunity to save her people. We do as well. It's just a different time that we're in. So Esther didn't try to do it on her own. She called for a three-day fast and prayer, and she prepared herself to go before the king with the thought of, if I perish, I perish. So she held two feasts for the king and Haman, and they came in, and um, at the second one, she made known to the king Haman's plan. And the king turned the table on Haman. And those gallows that he was going to use to hang Mordecai were used to hang Haman. So God had these things in mind and in plan and took care of Haman. 
But that wasn't the end of the story because there was still a decree. And back in that time, when there was a decree made, it was very difficult to overturn a decree. So Esther had to go and ask the king, in addition, that he save her and save all the Jewish people. And thankfully, the king agreed to that, and they sent a note out across all the land. Public notice, like the last one, so everybody could see. And it said, on this day, there won't be a mass annihilation, and the Jewish people are free to protect themselves as they need. This was an amazing shift of power driven by God. So at one point, their foes were ready to annihilate, kill, and plunder a whole race. In the end, God found favor with the Jewish community and their power was multiplied. And they actually took some vengeance on the people that would have annihilated them. Interestingly, they didn't take any plunder. They didn't take anything for it. They had defended themselves to make sure that they were safe. So the Jewish people were saved. um, And a lot of people that were there watching this saw the awesome power of God in this community. And the people that didn't believe in God the Gentiles, many of them became believers because they wanted what they saw the Jewish people had. And at that time, they created the holiday of Purim, which goes back to they were casting lots about their fate and uh, pure. And there is today, from 2,500 years ago till today, still an annual retelling of the book Esther within the the community of the Jewish folks to commemorate God's awesome power. Now, one thing I was going to mention about this that I I drew out of it, and it's not any kind of revelation, but when I'm just looking at the timing of this, and I look at, you know, well, this happened at 478 B.C. Greg, what's B.C. stand for? Before Christ. He was paying attention. Good. So... But think of what it, what it made me just take a minute and think about is our whole time continuum is based on an individual. It's based on Jesus Christ, our Savior. And to me, that's amazing that out of the billions that have come and gone, there's just the one, Jesus Christ, that changed the way we measure time. So why am I spending so much time on something that happened 2,500 years ago? And to be honest with you, about 10 years ago in this church, um, our pastor then uh, had gone through an Old Testament story, and afterwards, I call it a naive question, I don't know, but I was like, Richard, why do we even talk about the Old Testament? What's the point? We've got the New Testament, the New Covenant. We know what Jesus wants, and we can go do that. And he told me then, and I get it now, is sometimes you have to understand the history and the men's depravity and our real need for a Savior to understand and care about the benefit that we got in Jesus. So um, I am spending a little bit of time on that, um, but I hope uh, that you'll all join me and think it was worth it. Okay. So it's a good story, heroes, villains, could be a great movie actually, I think, if you uh, put it to that. Um, But I still didn't know out of those seven pages, ten chapters, what I was supposed to get out of it. Like, what's the point? So um, I've got a few tips and tricks. So I've, uh, I've been saved since 1988, somewhere in there. And I've had a lot of fits and starts with my studies. And one of the things that I've realized more recently is it's not a race. There's not a race to finish every book in any amount of time. What's more important than speed is understanding. And so the book of Esther, I took a while, and I read it, and I reread it, and I understood the story. 
But one of the things that's helpful is talking to other people about it. So I talked at one of the elder meetings about it a little bit and afterwards in the parking lot. Um, but there's a couple other resources, just in case anybody else has difficulty with this issue that I do, that I wanted to share today. And two of them that I used in this study, the MacArthur Study Bible. It's very helpful because it gives you exactly the word and then it gives you the context and it helps you to internalize and understand what's going on within the story. Don't be intimidated by its size. You know, Esther's like pretty small in here, right? Uh, same thing with the Moody Bible commentaries. So because it's in these books, does it mean it's <laughs> the way to the word? Uh, so uh, because it's in these books, does it make it absolutely right? No. Do I believe everything exactly the way the authors in there wrote it? You know, I still have to have my own interpretation of it, but it helps me to understand the context in which it was written and the history behind it. Sometimes understanding the word is understanding what was going on at the time. And these are two resources um, that I wanted to share with you as um, ones that have helped me in my walk. So. All right, some observations and applications. We talked about the measurement of time. In God's covenant, um, that's covenant with Abraham. We'll go through each of these in a little bit more detail in a minute, but um, God's covenant with Abraham, uh, that he would protect the Jewish people. God's providence, his supreme ability to protect. Um, the fact that there were individual contributions in each of these parts of the story. There's a lot of similarities between some of the actions that Esther took and some of those that Jesus took. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, oops, there we went, <laughs> the uh, uh, Christ's new covenant, um, the one that we are under now eternally. And then what does it mean to us? What's our charge in this? So God's covenant, uh, God's providence has seen in Esther. Oh, let's go through this one. Okay, so talk about ordinary people being asked to do extraordinary things. Picture yourself as Abraham. Abram at the time, God changed his name. But anyway, Abram is 99 years old. And the God, it, think about, I, I put it in my perspective, right? 99, you've been retired for quite a while, right? And uh, God comes to you and says, I'm going to make you the leader of, Nations. Really? I'm going to give you a son. God. And it even says in there when you read it, he fell on the ground laughing. Like, God, really? I'm 99 years old. My wife is 90 years old. And we're going to have a baby. God does extraordinary things in ordinary people. And he made that covenant uh, with Abram. And that's uh, carries through uh, the Old Testament. The next slide has a little bit more on um, that it will be exceedingly fruitful um, and that uh, it is an everlasting covenant uh, of protection uh, for those folks. Next slide, Jim. Thanks. So what do we see about God's providence in Esther? So these... Jewish people, they were in exile. They'd fallen away. They'd forgotten about God in a lot of ways. So the Jews had forgotten about God, but God hadn't forgotten about them. And God put in motion a whole series of events that led to Esther being in a position to save that whole race. So... God's providence requires people and movement. Next slide there, Jim. Thanks. So in one of the things I thought was interesting, I, didn't, I never noticed it when I read it, and maybe other people wouldn't, I don't know. But I read through the, the seven pages of Esther, and I think it's a great book, it's a good story. And as I started reading in the Bible commentaries, it says, 
Well, this is kind of a debated book of the Bible. Hmm, why? Well, it never mentions God. The whole book doesn't mention God at once. It mentions the king 172 times of the, the country, but it doesn't mention God. But God's there, and God's doing things. And the sequence of events that happened couldn't have happened without intervention. So one of the things I think about uh, with Esther as a role model is that she also had a role model. Sometimes in, the, in, in our world today, we talk about the fact that we don't all have perfect families. And because of perfect families, we have problems, and we, that's the root of our problem. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that whole debate. But I will say there are examples of bad families in the Bible. The very first family, Cain killed Abel. Didn't start out so good, right? So in this story, uh, Esther was an orphan, right? So somebody could say, oh, woe is Esther. She's an orphan. But you know what? Somebody stepped up and gave her guidance, Mordecai. So what's our role? Our role is to understand who needs that help and how do we provide that help to those people that need it, right? How can we be a Mordecai to an Esther or someone else? So without Mordecai's role model to Esther, she wouldn't have been strong in her faith. She likely wouldn't have been in a position to go in front of the king's court and become the queen. So Vashti got replaced with Esther. God or the Holy Spirit must have been working in Vashti somehow for her to step up and say, what you're asking me to do, king, is not right. Think about the, the decision she made. She was the queen of an empire from Ethiopia to India, a huge empire. And she chose to give that up by not dishonoring herself and honoring uh, the request of the king. Somehow God played in that. The fact that God was Mordecai, what God was to Mordecai, and the fact that Mordecai wouldn't bow to Haman drove Haman's pride and vengeance and created the plans that Haman had, which could later be squashed. The fact that Mordecai found out, how did Mordecai happen to find out that these eunuchs, I mean, you think about that, like, well, why Mordecai? Why not somebody else? Anybody could have done that. But as you go through this list of things, any one of those things not happening in the order it did um, or happening at all could have stopped uh, the whole thing and the Jewish race could have been annihilated at the time. So Mordecai saves the king. Esther steps up to risk it all. And ultimately, as I mentioned before, God transferred the power to the Jewish people and God's people prevailed. So it's just an example of God's providence, but it's not God's providence in the absence of humans. Humans had involvement. We're all humans. We can have involvement in how God's word gets carried out in our communities and our world. So God's covenant was fulfilled. I talked about this. Uh, every province, every city, wherever the king's command and his edict had reached, um, there was gladness among the Jews. They had this, uh, uh, the celebration of Purim, and it's gone on uh, since then. But um, if you think about it this way, it was a salvation for those people, and it was salvation for the non-believers that believed after this had happened. So you could see the work of God and protecting his people. All right, next slide. So I talked a little bit about Esther and Jesus and some comparisons. In the commentary, there's more comparisons. I just picked a few of these to, to talk through. But uh, prior um, to them going before the king, in Esther's case, King Xerxes, in Jesus' case, God. Um, 
they suffered three days of affliction. They went through significant prayer. They submitted. Esther submitted to God before she submitted to the king. So they both were prepared to see the king. They both gave all for the interest of others. So Jesus, we know, gave everything for us. Esther was willing to give everything for the Jewish community. And each of them provided a means of salvation for their people. The Jewish community and Gentiles, in uh, Esther's case, and all of us now for eternity in Jesus' case. So, still back in the Old Testament, we are given the Holy Spirit. If you think about this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will have within you. I will remove your heart of stone and flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. So those of you that are here, you're probably here, some of you, because, and I, I apologize, I didn't welcome our visitors today. I'm so sorry for that. We're so glad to have you. If you like what you're hearing today, great. If you don't, please come back next week because Steve's awesome, okay? <laughs> so don't, don't judge us on uh, one day here. But anyway, uh, if you've ever had that feeling in your heart, if you've ever had those things where your conscience tells you what the right thing to do, it's really that Holy Spirit indwelling in you. Um, and that's part of uh, the new covenant character that we've been given. So we've got the old promise, we've got the Holy Spirit, um, and um, we've got the new covenant. We celebrate communion often, and I thought about using that uh, as part of talking about the new covenant, but I chose this uh, out of Hebrews. Um, basically, it just says what we've all come to know, and many of us to believe, is that Jesus died for our sins, and that we can have eternal life through him. So we've been given a lot of great things. Um, it's not because uh, we deserve them, um, but we have been given evidence of God's faithfulness. We see it for the last 2,500 years in the Old Covenant. We see examples of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. We know that we've got the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. And we've got knowledge of Jesus saving grace. Folks, we're all sinners. There's nothing we can do about that. But God understood that, that man would fail. And from the beginning, he had a plan for our salvation. I think we needed to understand our depravity and hear from the many failings of humans in the, in the Old Testament to really understand our dependence upon Jesus and his new covenant. We've got firsthand accounts in the Bible and in the extra, uh, extra biblical, I guess what would you call it, but outside of the Bible historical references that we know we can believe. There isn't a time in history that we would have more information to tell us that we have saving grace in Jesus Christ than now. There's nothing, never been a time, never been an opportunity for us to know more. And we have the Great Commission. We've been asked in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we've got all the information that we need. We've got the command from our Lord and Savior. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And I hope that today, at least one of us will be encouraged to share what's going on. And I want to talk through just a couple examples of 
things that have been impactful in my life. Uh, one of them was a work colleague. Back in 1984, I was working at Dan and Yogurt in Minster, Ohio, a little town. Um, a guy was just a few years older than me, and he was asking me about going to church, and I was, now I'm really not into that. You know, I'll go to a wedding or a funeral. I'll go on Christmas maybe, but I, you know, I get it, but I, I'm, I'm not interested. And he didn't preach at me. He didn't you know, say I was going to burn in hell if I didn't listen to him. But what he said is, you know, you might think differently about it when you're a little bit older and when you have children of your own like I do. I didn't think anything more of it. I thought, okay, nice, John, see you, have a good day. Well, five years go by. My beautiful wife, Lori, uh, and I are expecting a son. We didn't know it was a son at the time, but uh, anyway, we're expecting and that conversation flashed back in my head like it, we had just had it. And I thought, you know what? John has no idea today the impact he had in my life. And so I think we are all potential sowers of seeds. I'm not saying you have to go out and say, you know, hey, I need to lead you to Christ and here's the prayer you have to do and that. What I'm saying is you have to share what's going on with you how your life has been changed through Jesus. It's your testimony people care about. Right? I want to talk to you a little bit about um, a funeral that uh, Lori and I went to about two years ago. And the man had cancer. He knew he was dying. He knew that he hadn't lived the best life. He knew that he didn't have faith for much of his life. Uh, but when he did know there was a time for his passing, he went and he sought spiritual counseling. And he realized what he'd been missing, and he came to Christ. And when we watched that video of this man, he came out and he had a number of regrets. I regret that I didn't understand this earlier. I regret that nobody shared this with me. I regret that many of you, my family, and my friends that are watching this are not saved. I regret the fact that I may never see you again if you're not saved. And as we sat there and listened to this and understood it, I flashed back to my dad and one of the things my dad said was, I wish I believed sooner. I wish I did more. And one of the things that came out um, from that, and then a, another person that we had, uh, a neighbor of ours was dying. And Lori's a nurse. She ministered to his physical needs and found out that he didn't have a will, didn't have anything set up, so we helped him with his financial planning in the last stages. I spoke to him about Jesus. I talked to him about it. I knew that they were not believers. But as we went through and talked to him, I don't know to this day if he was saved or not. That's between him and God, I don't know. But what came upon me and what struck me is, you know, I've known that person for a while. What kept me from sharing my faith with him before? Once he's dying, I felt good to share my faith with him. But what was it that stopped me before? And a week or so ago, we had a men's breakfast. And they came in and they talked about sharing your faith and uh, what you can do, and different techniques to go from a regular conversation to a spiritual conversation. I think those are all good. The point is having the conversation. And we talked about what stops us from having that conversation. Well, fear of rejection. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be seen as a Bible thumper, you know. I don't want to be seen as... Um, what makes me holier than thou, right? What, I know you. 
why, you know, why are you saying that kind of stuff? I know what you've done. You know, aren't you being a hypocrite? You know, I know for myself, and I know for probably a lot of us, we're all a little bit hypocritical, right? We know what we believe, but we know how we act. Anyway, we don't expect to be perfect. None of us are perfect. And so that shouldn't keep us from sharing our faith. The one I struggled with for a while was, and I, I asked the question at the men's breakfast, is maybe people don't share their faith because they really don't believe. And I, it got kind of quiet around the table when I said that. And, and the people looked, and I, I only said it because I think for me, at a time, it was true. That was holding me back because, like, how do I know for sure? I mentioned that I'm a scientist. I've done the research. I believe you need to do your own research and whether you believe or don't believe. But don't let anything hold you back. Uh, another friend of mine at work, 55 years old, picture of health. Signed his retirement papers for early retirement. He had invested well. He was financially secure. He was ready to ride off into the golden sunset. Went for a bicycle ride with his daughter in the neighborhood. He tipped over. He hit his head on the concrete, and he died. So his financial health was in order, and his family will be fine. But I don't know about his spiritual health. How come? Because I never asked him. But it made me wonder. And so I've had those situations in my life where I've had feelings of regret for not sharing. And I just don't want any of you to have that same regret. Um, We have all here had somebody share with us. Probably, or you wouldn't be here, right? So thank them. But then think about how you can give back and pay forward. And in Esther... I think it's a great question and a question for today. Who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for a time such as this? The way I think about it, our country, our world, our communities are in need of spiritual revival. And I guess the question is, are we going to be part of that spiritual revival? Some statistics say over 90% of the people that are faithful don't share their faith. And I think about that, and I think about if we truly believe that what we have is life-saving, it's a matter of life or death for the people around us, how can we not share it? If we had the antidote for a poison they swallowed, we'd give them the antidote, right? We do have the antidote, and it's Jesus. So we've got this uh, season of Thanksgiving coming up, and we've got a wonderful opportunity, Thanksgiving and then Christmas when we celebrate the life of our Savior. There's not a time of the year that people are more open to hearing about the saving grace of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking right now, All my friends are already saved. I don't need this. Maybe then it's just a faith discussion about what God's doing in your life and it encourages them. I heard the other day a thing about if 10 of us today shared a faith discussion with 10 other people and they went to 10 other people, right? 10, 10, 10. We're only eight steps away from a billion people, a billion faith discussions, right? So what's the alternative? If we don't have a discussion, what's the potential? I like the 10 billion better than the none. And I think uh, what I'd like to challenge you with and have you think about as you go into this holiday season, think about what you're thankful for, what you're thankful for within your life, within your faith, within your salvation. 
And ask yourself, are you going to be part of the minority that's bold, that's willing to risk that awkward conversation? Like Daniel, like Esther, like Jesus, somebody that could stand apart for the, benef the eternal benefit of, a, of others. I've been thinking a lot about the question that our guest speaker had. He's about four weeks ago, and he left us with questions of, who am I, and why am I here? And as luck would have it, I read in one of the little movie, uh, moody uh, devotionals about how worldly pursuits can really crowd out God. And... I think about it a couple ways, right? We, I don't know where I heard this, but, you know, funeral suits don't have any pockets. You can't take it with you. There's no trailer hitch on a hearse. The only thing that you can take with you is the people you care about and love. And what I'm saying is right now we've got a great opportunity to share those seeds to people in our lives. I look very much forward to seeing my dad in heaven. I'd like to see all of you there, and I'd like to see all our community there. So what are we all about, Meadowland, I guess is my question. Are we waiters, hoarders, and hopers? Or are we sharers and life givers? I ask you to seek what God has willed for you in your life, to pray about it, and then share your blessings in Jesus Christ this holiday season. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Lord, I pray that uh, as I pricked people's hearts a little bit today, that... Um, People will understand the heart and the intention behind the words of my mouth. And I hope, Lord, that they were pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that as we go forward in these turbulent times in our nation, that we, Lord, in some small way that could grow and grow, be part of a spiritual revolution that we need in our communities. I ask these things in your precious name. Amen.